Hey everyone, uh, this will be my second attempt at a podcast. Well, I don't know if it's an attempt, I'm actually doing it, so this will be my second podcast for the Arcane Alienist. Um, you know, my plan is not to just do 100 podcasts a day, uh, but I had some information once I, uh, you know, I did, I did my first podcast today during my lunch break, and I had some more information I wanted to share once that I got home and started looking through some of the stuff I've compiled for this campaign I'm preparing for. So I thought I would uh, just just kind of read and add a few side comments on the world building I've done so far, just in, in general, uh, with more details to follow. Uh, so the campaign, I've called it the Mythic World of Erd. Uh, that's Erd, U-R-D. That, that is actually the name of one of the fates in uh, Norse mythology, although that's not why I picked that name. It just sort of popped into my head. Uh, obviously probably been floating around back there for, for years just from having read and, and, and enjoyed Norse mythology. Uh, but it just seemed to roll off the tongue pretty well, the mythic world of Erd. Um, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> give you some details here. And the mythic world of Erd is intended to be a, a pulp fantasy setting. I think I, I mentioned in my kind of influence the the uh, Lankmar series of Fafford and the Grey Mousers Adventures by Fritz Lieber. Um, so it's intended to be a pulp fantasy setting. And I use the word mythic uh, to describe it because the world is meant to be mysterious and the fantasy elements are really poorly understood by most of its inhabitants. The origins of the people, the creatures, and even the gods are not really clear. Uh, it doesn't have to be a grim, dark, or frightening place, although sometimes it is. But there are definitely def- definitely dangerous things kind of at the edges of the map and the places where mortals aren't meant to be. And that's one idea I want a theme I want to set with this is when you delve into a dungeon or a ruin or when you go into a deep, dark forest, you're not supposed to be there. Uh, you you are intruding on the space of other kinds of creatures, then they're not supposed to kind of come to your neighborhood and you're not supposed to go to theirs. And there's a source of conflict right there. So Erd consists of three interconnected realms, and although the points of passage between them are well hidden and often perilous to use, they're still physically connected. So hearkening back to, say, uh, Greek mythology, where uh, you could go to Hades, if you knew the way to get there uh, as a living person, you, you could go to the gates of Hades. It's probably not a very good idea, but physically you could go there if you knew the way. It wasn't a, a transcendent to another plane of existence. It was a physical location. Uh, and I think I mentioned earlier kind of the, the ancient Near East cosmology with, with the actual underworld physically beneath the, the realms of, of, of mortal people. <clears throat> So Erd consists of three interconnected realms. Uh, the first one, which is kind of where the main action will take place in, in a campaign, is the overworld. That's the home of mortal peoples. It's the land under the open sky, the land under the firmament. Uh, then there's the other world, which I've kind of borrowed that, that term from uh, Celtic mythology. Uh, the other world is it's the, the realm of fairy. It's the land of fae creatures. It's a dreamlike land where magic and great natural beauty exist. It's, it's like a pristine, perfect example of, of a reflection of the overworld, which kind of brings in some of the, the concepts of the Feywild from 4th edition and 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and then there's the underworld, 
and not the Underdark, the Underworld. And it's kind of kind of the Underdark, but also kind of more the more the traditional, you know, ancient views of Hades or, or Sheol. Uh, it's the home of monsters and also the spirits of the dead. So it's a dark place beneath the other realms, uh, and it's not a place for mortals. Uh, so the underworld exists beneath overworld and other world. Um, okay, so the, the the mortal creatures, which will kind of be where the where player character has come from, uh, there are five primary species of mortal beings in the overworld: dwarves, elves, gnomes, halflings, humans, and orcs. Uh, and these six peoples have a long history of alliances, conflicts, trade, uh, but they generally live in peace with one another. Uh, unless something comes along to stir up discord, war, conflict. Dwarves and gnomes are said to have once been a single people, known as the Dwergar, who dwelt in the underworld, but they fled upward in the ancient times after this proliferation of monsters came and took over. Uh, the dwarves made it, came up to the overworld and made new homes for themselves, as dwarves we tend to think of in mountains and hills. Um, the gnomes came first to the other world, so they're in this fey realm. Uh, and although many have since kind of moved into the overworld and, and can be found, uh, they, they originally were in the other world. And so because of that, they've developed these fey traits that dwarves don't have. So I want to go back to that old connection from, from original Dungeons & Dragons that had always been there about dwarves and gnomes being related. But I very much like some of the newer... Uh, concepts of gnomes uh, as being fae or fae-related. Um, so, you know, in 5th edition, we have this sort of distinction between rock gnomes and, and forest gnomes uh, that kind of get into both of those situations. I want to find a way to, to, to include both of those concepts, but still just have basically one type of gnome. And you're saying, oh, weren't you doing BX? What are you talking about, gnomes and orcs? I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. <clears throat> Uh, gnomes and orcs as, as, as player characters. Um, humans, halflings, and orcs in, in, the, in the mythic world of Erd are all descendants from an ancient race called the First People. So they uh, there's this this is the original people of the the overworld mortal people. <clears throat> they all share a certain wanderlust and curiosity. Uh, although what I'm saying is that halflings and orcs kind of outgrow that after the early adulthood, whereas humans may have a tendency to to get stuck there. Um, halflings prefer the, as typical, the settled life in cozy towns and villages. Um, orcs prefer a more rugged, sustenance style of, of life, uh, in unsettled lands. Uh, they might, you might, the way I'm going to kind of place orcs in this setting is you might compare them somewhat to the Sumerians in, in the Conan stories. Um, other people might view them as kind of barbarians. That doesn't mean that they're ignorant or stupid or savage. Uh, they just they just live more closer to the land <clears throat> uh, and more of a sustenance lifestyle, hunter gathering, maybe herding uh, some some animals, um, but but not building these big cities and, and, and um, advanced political economic structures that, that humans and dwarves might do. Uh, and, of course, humans have this wide variety of ambition and lifestyles and ways of doing things, which is pretty typical of a fantasy setting. Elves, uh, 
Their story is that they are descended from a union of a mortal hero of the first people and one of the Shi, which are the, the gods of the, the Fae, again, kind of hearkening back to Celtic mythology. So they have both mortal and Fae traits. So they're not immortal, but they're long-lived. Um, and they, of course, as elves do, prefer to live in ancient forests, uh, close to the points of passage between the other world and the overworld. So, so they have ancestries in both worlds, and they like to be in the places that are, are close between um, and the idea here for, um, particularly I'm thinking for, for non-humans, but, but uh, especially uh, orcs and elves, halflings, gnomes perhaps as well, is they'll go out on an adventure, uh, and eventually they'll want to return back to these, these, these other places, uh, separate from, from the wider world inhabited by humans, uh, but that every now and then one of them will get enamored and they'll just hang around for the rest of their life. So you will occasionally have an elven sage uh, or uh, uh, an orc warlord or maybe just an orc bodyguard who's just become very good friends with someone they, they've, they've traveled with. And so they, just, they continue to hang around. But that would be the oddity. Most adventurers of these, these non-human races would go back home at some point uh, to, to their own people. But... While they're adventuring during the campaign, they're out making a name for themselves, learning what they want to learn about the world, satisfying their individual curiosities. Again, uh, I think a lot of people who haven't read Robert Howard's actual stories about Conan, that they, they think more of the, the, the movie Conan, uh, where he's an orphan and he's, he's, his initial sort of adventure is, is seeking revenge on this cult that has killed his people. Well, in the, uh, the actual stories, Conan is just wanderlust. He's got family. He's got a village or, or a home somewhere back in Samaria, but he was just really curious about the rest of the world, so he went wandering around and became this sort of vagabond, you know, thief and warrior. Um, and I, I kind of see that as maybe what's going on with the non-humans here is, is they just, they, they, they come out of their traditional places into the world to kind of see what's going out, and at some point they decide they're going to go home. Uh, what mortals know? So here, here's what we get. Uh, not much is known about Erd. It's, it's really obscure as far as the history of the world. It's, it's still shrouded in myth and legend. Uh, so here's some things people do know. Uh, the world of Erd is incredibly old. Uh, supposedly it was made by giants, but then the giants angered the gods and the world was handed over to mortals instead. Uh, the original mortals of the overworld were known as the first people. I might play around with that name a little bit, but that's what I've got there for now. No one knows what happened to them, but they left behind ancient structures, and those structures, some of them still stand in places, although they're ruined and weathered by time. Uh, so that's where you get a lot of uh, adventure sites, dungeons, uh, places that people can explore and find treasure and artifacts. Uh, there is an order to everything, order with a capital O. I, I originally said <laughs> there is a law governing everything. I'm trying to steer away from, from, from law uh, because I don't want to invoke a lot of people's preconceived notions about alignment. We're talking about cosmic order. Um, there's an order for everything. It represents the proper arrangement of things in the universe. Monsters live in the underworld. Fairy beings live in the other world. Mortals live in the overworld, at least till they die and their spirits go to the land of the dead. And when things are out of place, very bad things happen. 
it, it invites an influence of chaos. So I'm kind of tapping into the concept of chaos that you might find more in Warhammer, where chaos is not good for anyone. This isn't chaos as, as in what well, we tend to think of it in D&D alignment systems, uh, necessarily, where, where you can be chaotic and uh, and just be neutral or, or even chaotic good. Or um, We're talking about unmaking the world with, with chaos with a capital C here in this kind of paradigm. So even, even characters, gods, powerful entities that you might call chaotic evil by a traditional... Uh, you know, nine-point alignment system in D&D, they would not like this form of chaos because it means the end of the world. Uh, so because the monsters and the weird things and the creepy colleagues tend to stay in their place, the most immediate threat is actually the influence of chaos um, because monsters don't intrude into the world of mortals that often. The most immediate threat is when other people, people, just ordinary people, fall under the influence of chaos. Um the demons that serve chaos tempt mortals into wickedness. The goal of chaos is ultimately to undo order. You know, the goal of chaos with a capital C is to undo order with a capital O and unmake the world and the universe. So I mentioned in the first podcast that, that with BX there aren't any demons. Uh, that, that you don't get a lot of discussion of other planes of existence. So I thought here where we might encounter demons at work would be more in the form of demons possessing uh, mortal beings or, or uh, monsters or other things. So, so that's more the, the encounter with demons are going to be possession, not with the actual physical form of a demon. And if I decide to actually pull a demon out and sort of whip up some stats for one, that should be a really, really big deal. Like, like that just doesn't happen even among seasoned adventurers. That, that's a major event as opposed to, you know, in, in kind of more modern D&D, you're, you're, you're fighting extra planet creatures even at first level sometimes you'd be fighting imps and quasits and, and little things like that so uh, when a demon manifests physically and not just in the form of a spirit or in, in, in a way of possessing something some physical mortal being that would be a huge deal all right what else we got death is a journey somewhere in the underworld there's a land of the dead like i said it's a physical place uh, when a mortal being dies its soul must journey through the underworld to get there uh, like every place in the earth, the land of the dead is a physical location, and getting there is a journey of miles, not of transcending to another reality. Of course, here's some, some story and adventure potential. Souls might get lost. They get twisted around in this labyrinthine underworld. Um, and so maybe they come back to, uh, to haunt people. Maybe, maybe you, know, you might encounter a ghost as someone who refuses to leave because they have unfinished business. But if you venture somewhere into the underworld, you might encounter ghosts or spirits that are just lost. The gods of Earth are real, but they're aloof and very distant. Uh, the gods are beings of order. Again, order with the capital O. They don't live on some other plane of existence. They live in the same world as everyone else. But they're in these distant, hidden places just like all the other stuff. And they don't really pay attention to mortals. They've got too many... Their, their duties, their, their job is to keep the order in place so that the world continues. Um, and so they're really too busy overseeing their duties to, to, to pay attention to people so they don't ask for prayers, they don't hear petitions, they don't grant powers or blessings to people. Uh, in fact, you know, if a mortal catches the eye of a god, it's because that mortal, for some reason, has become a threat to reality itself. 
or that mortal for some reason holds the key to saving reality itself. So, you know, there would be legends or tales among people of some mortals who've met a god, sometimes befriending them or sometimes getting in trouble and drawing their wrath, but that's really not um, a thing here. So so what, what is, where does that leave clerics? Well, uh, there are saints. Saints are the protectors of mortals. Saints are these uh, former mortals who've been made immortal and imbued with divine power. This is mysterious. Nobody knows how this happens or why it happens. But then the saints from, from these new position reach back out to provide guidance, inspiration, protection for mortal beings. Um, so they're a little lower on the gods in the, the grand scheme of things, uh, not as powerful, but they are much more present and concerned with the day-to-day affairs of mortals. Uh, they're still beings of order like the gods are. They don't serve the gods. They kind of have a, a, a parallel purpose. Uh, part of my inspiration for this comes from Mistara, uh, which is the default setting for, for basic D&D back in the 80s, uh, where you didn't have gods, you had immortals who all were once mortals and somehow elevated themselves. So, so I'm not using the, the, the process that you see in Mistara, but that's the idea that, that these are kind of our ancestors uh, reaching out to us to, to help us uh, in our times of need. And that's where clerics draw their power. It also allows, I don't need a pantheon of saints. You know, I can work with player characters to either make up a saint or I can say, you know, here's the chapel in the town you start in. So that would probably be the, the, the patron saint that your cleric follows. Or we can just, I can work with a player to make up a saint. They can be just myriad. Um, and it's a lot easier to prove that you're, I think, I think in a world of Dungeons and Dragons, to prove that whatever your source of divine power is, is real and not just something you made up when you can actually manifest healing and other spells and, and miraculous things. So, uh, Fantastic things are fantastic in the world of Erd. Most mortal people here spend their whole lives without really encountering a monster, a fae, an undead creature, a dragon, or anything like that. If they're going to encounter anything not like themselves, it's going to be those those mortal races, humans, elves, dwarves, halflings, gnomes, and orcs. Um, they are aware that these things exist, but it's not a common experience. There's no widespread understanding of the different categories. Now, they don't know the difference between a goblin, a hobgoblin, and a bugbear. They've never seen one. Uh, and so these things remain really mythic in nature. They're real. People believe in them. Uh, but they're out there on the edge of, edge of awareness and understanding. So some myths in her. These are, these are stories, myths people tell that might be true. They might not be true. They might be partially true. They might be completely false. Uh, they're the stories about what might be out there in the world beyond ordinary everyday experience. Uh, they could be literal. They could be allegorical. Um, no one knows for sure, although adventurers might find out over the course of their, their careers. Um, some of the more commonly known myths include the following. The world rests in the coils of an ancient dragon. Uh, giants built the world, but they angered the gods, and it was taken away from them. The first giant is chained up in the deepest parts of the underworld, and his fits of rage cause earthquakes. Uh, the she, which are the, the, uh, the fey deities, fey gods, control the seasons and the weather. Dragons come from somewhere beyond the stars. They're, they're not in, in, inherent to uh, the world of Earth. They've, they've been come from somewhere else. Goblins 
are the servants of the troll king, who is the sworn enemy of the Shi. Monsters all have the same mother. There's this entity, the mother of monsters, who lives somewhere in the underworld. Uh, that's a, a kind of referencing Grendel's mother uh, from, from Beowulf. Um, and uh, the goblins and the Troll King, uh, if, if you've never read uh, The Broken Sword by Paul Anderson, it's a great, it's, it's in Gary Gygax's appendix in with, with what he cites as influential. Uh, and it's a very, it puts elves and goblins and trolls in a, in a different sort of thing than we tend to think of them in um, D&D. It kind of goes back to some of their more Germanic uh, folklore uh, and, and kind of paints this this kind of ever going war between <laughs> trolls and, and and elves. It's a really good book. You should check it out. It's not a long book. It's a pretty easy read. Um, see, revenants are, cheat death by making a deal with a demon. So there, there's some something demonic going on with with the undead. Uh, and then I have that there is a queen of ravens who protects souls on their journey from the land of the dead. And, you know, the Raven Queen, who is a figure from 4th and 5th edition d and I, I really like that character. I like the 4th edition version of the Raven Queen where she's actually the goddess of death um, and not the sort of uh, dark, elven, fairy kind of thing that they, they've made her in 5th edition. Um, I don't know. I may, I may change the name, but it's kind of a placeholder. But I know <laughs> I like associating ravens with death uh, because it just, it just has a strong, such a strong root in folklore. Um, you know, even, even the crow, uh, not not so folklore, but the, the comic book, the crow, and the movie, the crow. You know, the idea is that it's the crow or, or a raven that brings someone back to to finish the uh, the the job they couldn't finish when they they left unfinished when they died. Uh, so, so I like sticking with that. So I may, I may morph that character, that figure a little bit in the, in the lore as, as we flesh out the setting. Um, let's see, some monsters and other fantastic creatures live in the underworld. They come in numerous and often very hideous forms. How many varieties of monsters there are, no one knows because they're down in the underworld and you don't, they're not meant for you to encounter. They're not meant for mortal eyes. And as a DM, what this allows me to do is to put certain monsters as being kind of native to the Underdark, uh, things you might think of as being down there from, from BX, the, the BX monsters. But I can also just create just sort of big, you know, aberrant abominations and, and, and uh, you know, that may be unique and, and also have those for, for players to encounter. Uh, there are a variety of fantastic creatures in the overworld, uh, even if they're rarely seen. Some of them are kind of natural to the other world. Some might be things that have kind of crossed over from the other world, from, from the fairy realm. Uh, and they're just as mysterious as the monsters of the other world, but they might be at least recognizable through folk tales, artwork, heraldry that, that would be more common among uh, mortal cultures. So things like giants, unicorns, pixies, goblins, centaurs, dragons... Uh, people would probably know one when they saw one, although they might be struck, you know, awestruck or, or terrified of them when they when they do. And then there are more sinister creatures uh, that come through this influence of chaos. Again, demonic influences, chaotic influences. Uh, these are things like undead, uh, revenants, angry undead spirits, lycanthropes, 
uh, so werewolves and, and other other lycanthropes and uh, demons themselves taking possession of, of mortal forms or whispering in people's ear and getting them to to get up to no good. Magic. So magic uh, comes. Uh, I guess D and D. Two varieties: arcane and divine. Arcane, of course, is the province of wizards. Uh, arcane magic is said to be drawn from the laws of creation themselves. So, so when a wizard is engaged in arcane magic, they're they're in a very small way doing whatever the 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 you know kind of repeating the 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 act of creating the universe on some level. They're drawing from those same forces and those same principles of order. Um, very few people understand anything about magic other than it's dangerous. But wizards play an important role in the society of Herd. Uh, they're masters of, of obscure lore, and they're in this world of myth and magic, so wizards are often needed to deal with fantastic creatures or threats. Um, they're kind of beyond regular people because they have this the knowledge of these strange creatures that normally hang out on the peripheries of the world or that might occasionally kind of incur from somewhere beyond. Uh, wizards belong to arcane lodges or guilds that guard they guard their secrets very vigorously uh, so that you know they take people in as apprentice and they that you have to kind of prove yourself. Uh, a renegade wizard is a very dangerous thing. It invites chaos. Uh, and more practically speaking, just just <laughs> for self-interest of wizards, and, you know, a renegade wizard risks turning the general public against wizards. Um, so these arcane lodges are typically going to be the first ones to try to prevent the misuse of arcane magic and punish transgressors so that that duty doesn't wind up falling to other people because then you would get an outbreak of, of witch hunts, um, you know, and... and, and Wizards are, are few in number, so as powerful as they are, if, if, if an entire society rises up against them, and, and you know, clerics can sometimes rival them in power, even in magic, so it's not a good thing. Uh, that concept of, of wizards kind of having a social role that they, they need to play, that they're required to play, um, and uh, these lodges that kind of self-govern and, and self-police each other, some of that comes, my, my sources of inspiration are that, uh, uh, the Witcher, um, if you've, you've, I've actually not played the Witcher video games, but I've read the the books that they're based on, and I of course really enjoyed the the first season of the the Netflix show uh, this past year. But that's where I kind of draw that. There's also some similar things you, you you'll see in um, the Reluctant King uh, series by Elspreg uh, de Camp. Again, something from Appendix N, where where, where you know wizards sort of have a societal role and they organize themselves into to uh, certain um, uh, in, into to societies and have ranks and titles and things like that. Uh, divine magic, of course, is, is, is comes from the saints, you know, and clerics who uh, who get magic from the saints. Um, so, whereas wizards are more studious and they're studying sort of the laws of creation itself, uh, the cleric is typical. It's a warrior priest who who devotes themselves to, to a saint, and, and the saint gives them little bits of divine power to go forth and do good works. Uh, alchemy. His last little paragraph in, my, in the kind of the document I'm working on says, Alchemy and Artifice. Alchemy is somewhat related to magic. It's part of the wizard studies. I mean, every wizard knows something about alchemy. 
uh, and it's used to make potions, elixirs, and things like that. But there's maybe some practical applications that everybody can use, again, drawing on folklore. Uh, fantastic creatures are often immune to some things that harm mortals and vulnerable to other things that are pretty ordinary. Uh, fake creatures abhor the touch of iron. Demons can be harmed by silver. Uh, garlic and wolf's bane can be used as protection against certain types of creatures. So that, those are just little folk remedies that you don't have to be a wizard to, to employ. Artifice is the art of enchanting objects with permanent magic. Uh, in ages past, you know, there's no artificer in BX. That's, that's a fairly recent addition to, to D&D from late 3rd edition. Uh, but artifice is the act of enchanting objects. And the idea I'm presenting here is that, that it's almost a lost art. In ages past, wizards seem to have known how, had these secrets of how to make magical armor, magical weapons, artifacts, uh, wondrous items. But that's a bygone era. Wizards don't know how to do that anymore. They can make potions and scrolls and elixirs and things like that. But if you want a magic sword or a magic shield or a magic helmet or, or something like that, um, these are, you're going to have to find them in, in a treasure trove, in a dungeon, in something from one of these old times of the first people or other ancient peoples who knew how to do this stuff. Uh, and hence the, the, the call for uh, adventurers to go into these dark places and, and try to find, you know, lost treasures, not only gold, but uh, but, artif- but artifacts and, and magic items. So that's the uh, the world of Erd kind of in its summary. Um, I mentioned, you know, you know, gnomes and orcs as player characters in BX is kind of a weird thing, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll do that in a, in a, in a future podcast. Uh, but that's the world... Um, I mentioned, uh, you know, some of the, the, the books that are, that are kind of shaping my thought in addition to, to you know, I initially mentioned uh, Fritz Lieber and the, the Lankmar series, but uh, again, The Witcher is, is more of a more modern one. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the Reluctant King series, um, and The Fallible Fiend, which is not part of that series, but is set in the same setting. The Fallible Fiend is a, is a very funny, 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 entertaining novel. If, if you've not read it, it's great. Um, and I think all of those are available also on Audible as, as audiobooks. Uh, Conan, the Conan series. Um, and, you know, as I go through and, and, and explain more of my thoughts and some of my ideas as I'm world-building, I'll, I'll cite other fantasy works and, and places where I get some of these ideas as they come up, so... So that's the Mythic World of Erd, and that is a, wow, a 30-minute podcast. I thought this was going to be more like another 15-minute one. Uh, hopefully people will take the time to, to listen. Um, maybe you can put it up on a, a higher play speed and, and get through it a little quicker, as long as it's still, uh, you know, I'm not a too slow of a talker, but you might be able to speed me up a little bit. So until I uh, get a chance to do another one, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, all, all two people that I know will listen. Hopefully there'll be more people that, that come along in, in the near future. Um, so I will be back with more at a later date. Thank you.